welcome to the Mason Jar Podcast. I'm Renee Mathis, and I'll be your host for this series of podcasts on mentoring moms. Whether you're a young mom in need of guidance or an older mom with wisdom to share, I hope you'll join me on this encouraging journey. Today's guest is Rachel Jankovic. She's a mom of seven and author of several books. Her latest is titled You Who, Why You Matter and How to Deal with It. As we consider the idea of mentors, we need to be careful. The world is full of voices that can sound very appealing. Unfortunately, it's all too easy to get sucked in by their siren song. Rachel has a lot to say about this, and I can't wait to dive in. Welcome, Rachel. Let's Thank you. By letting you tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, I am a wife and mother of seven children. My oldest, I have two teenagers now. My oldest is 14, our youngest is three. And I guess what I do full-time is be a mom. And after that, I write sometimes. And lately, I've been active on social media and in the Bible Reading Challenge. I do a lot of work there. Good. And you've also um, been doing some guest speaking at great homeschool conventions. That's what I, I got. I only two. I agreed to do two. I'm really hard to get out of Idaho. So <laughs> I, I rarely do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, okay. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pull the family tree card. I was talking to a friend yesterday who heard you in Fort Worth and she said, I, I listened to her whole seminar and then I realized she and Indy Wilson are brother and sister. <laughs> yes. That's I it's funny because it's not that we've been keeping it a secret. It just it's funny how often it surprises people or like, wait, what? Or but because my whole family are authors in I don't I don't really know how to explain that, but because the whole family is authors, it happens with my mom's grammar textbook. Right. Like people who use that but had no idea we were related or <laughs> they're like, I love her grammar book. It, I just think it's a really funny thing to reveal. I, yes, I love her grammar book too. I used it in my classes for several yeah. years. So Nancy Wilson is Rachel's mom. And yep. your dad is Doug Wilson, yep. who, thanks to him, a lot of us got started in yeah. the whole journey of classical education. Classical ed, yeah, totally. So, uh, yeah, so it's fun. And I, I was telling Rachel earlier, I had a chance to interview her dad way, way back in the early days of the internet and the, the uh, AOL forum. And I don't even remember if we talked. We, the whole interview might have been done via text and type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we had dial-up back then. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to, it comes full circle. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you. Is it you who or you who? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just say you who, just, just you who. You. Um, how did you come to write this book? Um, I guess it was a number of factors that, that played into me writing this. But first is that I never really intended to be an author, but it, I did write my senior thesis at New St. Andrews on the problem of the self. So I was spending a lot of time, I, I read about the philosophy of the self. Um, and it was shocked at that time, I have to say, with you assume when you go to read the philosophers that you're going to be like listening to the people who really know what's what. In some way, you expect a lot more <laughs> depth of something than what you were. It was just like, really? Like, that's it? That's all you, that's all that you can come up with to say about what people are for or um, whatever. So that was impactful to me in college, which was a long time ago. And then when I did become an author, it was sort of just um, incidental. I was asked to write a book on mothering because of a blog post I'd written. So I was thrown into what I would say is the world's clingiest audience, which is mothers of young children who are desperate for 
you know, that like they need, they want help. They need help. They're searching for like, can anyone help me see why this matters, how this is about, you know, they, they struggle a lot. Um, and through the years, so man, I wrote loving the little years. Blair was a baby and she's, um, so it was probably about eight years ago that I wrote that. And then I wrote another mothering book fit to burst. And, uh, so I spent a lot of time and I did webinars and things talking to young mothers, but what kept coming up for me was, people ask questions that they're like, I need help with this. I need help because my life is so bad because my toddlers are so needy or, or whatever. And I kept thinking your problem is not your toddlers. It's your idea of who you are, what you're for, what God made you for. Like you have bad philosophy that is causing these practical problems. Like you, you think that, that your children are literally keeping you from living your best self. Like they're in the way of who I'm supposed to be. There's a lot of different manifestations of that, but it just became, it was so common to me to hear those problems that I felt like, no, you're, you're not struggling with housekeeping. You're struggling with, with rejoicing in what God has called you to. You know, you're struggling with a different problem than you think you are. Um, and that was so common, but it was never, women almost never knew that that was the problem. Like they, they were never asking me. It was never like, I think I have a wrong sense of how I'm created and, and who, what I'm for. They would never say that. They would say, you know, I just don't recognize myself anymore. I don't know who I am. I'm not happy because I can't live like this. And so that's really the motive and the heart behind this book is that I felt like, well, we need to back up further and evaluate really our first assumptions that many Christian women have taken on, never having noticed that it was an unbelieving assumption, never having noticed when they learned it, they absorbed it just kind of by being alive in our world today. And, but it is causing huge problems because it does not fit with the Christian worldview. So I, that is the heart behind the book really. Thanks. Thanks. That, that makes a lot of sense. I have lots to say about it. <laughs> no, I'm glad you have lots to say. This is going to be interesting. Um, and, and y'all, if you can't tell already, um, Rachel said that she felt like her calling in life was to be either a missionary or a cheerleader. <laughs> I just, I, I was young when I said that, but yes. <laughs> but it's true. And, and you, do a, you do a wonderful job of both. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we, need those. we need those missionary cheerleaders. I like that. Um, so, and you're right, you do dive into philosophy, right? Right off the bat, right in the beginning of this book. Oh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it had to go somewhere. It's not Should scary. Though. People at the beginning or in the middle somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but it's not scary. And, and you know, learning, I love you even tell us how to pronounce Descartes. So nothing scary. <laughs> um, Sartre, Nietzsche, we need this, but we need to know those things. Because like, yeah. said, they're the root of so much of. Disney movies, Disney. what we tell our children all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully we don't, but the world tells them that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You are enough. That, that's what yeah. I'm favorite. You're enough or you can be whatever you want to be, or you're the only person who can say what's right for you, or you're the, you know, all of those things assume a self-creating mm-hmm. self, like that your identity is fundamentally your own doing right? And, but Christians often absorb those little tidbits from the world without recognizing, like, if you put that next to Psalm 100, you, you know, it's like, it is he who made us and not we ourselves. And I love that it goes ahead and says, you know, 
that the Lord, he is God, you know, and it says it is he who made us. And I love that it doesn't stop there because it also says, and not we ourselves. Like, it's not just that God made us and then we made us, you know, like, or he gave us the materials and we crafted us. It's like, no, you didn't do that. <laughs> like, you did not make yourself. He did it. You didn't. And anyways, um, but for many people, they hear it as trite encouragement. And so they don't resist it. You know, they hear like, you can do whatever you set your mind to. You can be whoever you want to be. And they don't think like, stop lying to me. They just let it go. But if you hear things enough, that is actually the principle behind brainwashing is that you just say something enough and someone starts to believe it is true, whether or not it really has any decent argument behind it. And I would say that for many Christians, they just assume those things without evaluating it. They sound good. And, and if yeah, you it's like, and what harm could it possibly be to tell us that? Because we don't look at what the whole trajectory of that belief is. And it's in flat defiance to the word of God. Right. And it looks cute on a Pinterest slogan with you handling. Yeah, on the front of every journal everywhere. Right, right. Believe in you. Like, all you have to do is believe in you and save yourself. And you can, you know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that you started out by looking at this group of young moms with young ones and starting yeah. more, but because um, I was wondering as I was reading your book, if you were writing actually to teenagers and young college women, because that's who seems yeah. like also a great audience. Right. But it, the book is directed towards that. But I assume that for most Christian women, they absorbed those ideas sometime a long time back. Like it is younger people. I mean it's not a joke. It's in Disney movies. It's in every, you know, things that we tend to let children absorb without anyone being there to interfere. You know, like you, it's like the Disney movies is a great example. Oh, I'll just let the kids go watch that without anyone being there to be like, do you see that they're lying to you? Do you see that this is not true? And we don't believe this. And, and we wouldn't use those things. So, thoughtlessly if we recognized the trajectory, but we don't. And so I think many young mothers probably absorbed all those things since childhood. They're not, mm-hmm. it's not like they just came into it with their first child. Right. It's just where I was seeing all the, all the big problems caused in early motherhood. And I think I, I wouldn't, probably girls in college have this kind of problem too with majors or what am I trying to do? But motherhood for many women is the first time that your life may come in total conflict with who you think you are, right? Like, because in college or when you're younger and single and free, you may think, I don't like my life right now, but there is still, you still have the illusion of power to change it, Mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, well, I'll quit this job and I'll go do this or I'll change majors or I'll, you know, I can still fix this. But when you have the children in your home and a woman is like, I don't like this life, there's a different kind of commitment mm-hmm. here. <laughs> and so many times for many Christian women, it's the first time that they really have to face head to head that you're not your own. Right. Like and that's just how it is. <laughs> so that brings me to my next question because, and you mentioned the Disney movie and how we, we are yeah. captivated by stories. We love to yeah. hear good stories. And as classical educators, we're trying to raise our children on yeah. good literature, good living books. But yet society seems to say that the idea of a story is something you write for yourself. Oh, right. How do we fix that? Because the Bible is a wonderful story. It's God's story and it's his own story. How do we we reconcile that idea? Whose story are we in? 
Well, that's a really complicated, that's a, that's a big question, but I think it is just clear that we are, we are part of his story, but that he's such an incredible author that he's made characters who, who are alive and who breathe, you know, like that it is his story, but we're so much more than any character we could write. You know, when you, when we're, he made us uh, differently and he planned, but like scripture is very clear about, um, that he knows, you know, it's like that he created us for works, for things he has for us to do for these things. And so I guess I would just say that the idea that we're supposed to craft a story is there's some part of that that is true because we respond to God and he gave us desires and he gave us things that are our ideas, you know, where you think I want to do this or I want to pursue this. And so it's not that there's no, that there's no part of your life that's going to be touching in your own desires and creativity and what you're doing. It's just that in a good relationship to your creator, God, you're responding in obedience to him and that those very desires he gives you are, they're from him for you to glorify him with. And so there's no, there's never a point where you're separate from God creating something. It's all responsive obedience and glorifying. That makes sense. Yeah. Or or disobeying. And (laughs) it's some of each probably. Right. Um, You used a great metaphor in your your book. You talked about the bumper stickers. And I wonder if you could say that, how we we put the different bumper stickers on the back of our car to... Right. Like, I think it's when we try to craft our own essence, craft who we are, like, who am I? It's, I think I use the analogy that it's like we're putting little bumper stickers on our car saying like, oh, I'm really into crafting or I'm really into this or to that. Um, Or, and, you know, we, we add all these things, you know, golden retriever owner, you know, like everybody, it's like, we try to assemble a persona that we're happy with, you know, we think like, okay, I like this. Um, and I think that that's part of the idea of crafting ourselves. We think that that's what we're doing, but when we do that, it's so shallow and it's so not in the book. I think the section where I'm talking about that, I'm talking about how, how if somebody believes that's their essence and that's who they are is self-created and self-projected like that, that it makes sense of a lot of our cultural problems where you have a, like say there's a transgendered man and someone who won't use his desired pronoun. And his response is, are you saying I don't exist? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and to a Christian, you're like, I'm not saying you don't exist. What are you talking about? You know, like if Mm -hmm. I just won't call you by that name or I won't say you are queen Zelda or whatever, I'm not going to say it. Then they say, well, you're denying my existence. And that is indicative of the fact that they have an idea of how they created themselves, which is I've written this story. This is who I am. And if you won't acknowledge this story, you're denying that I exist at all. But for a Christian, the reality is we believe that you exist because the creator God created you and gave you value. And that's where our value lies, not in whatever hobbies or interests or things you do. It's just your value is somewhere completely different from that. Right. You, you said that we were created, you know, to see life in light of our purpose, to glorify God and as worshipers. In fact, you said knowing yourself to be a worshiper both keeps you humble and makes you glorious. Yes. It's, um, well, it's true because you're like, what does it matter that I like to bake? It matters because I'm glorifying God with that. Mm-hmm. And it, and it doesn't matter because it's not my whole identity. It's not the whole 
It's not, I'm not trying to make something matter out of just my hobbies. Right. You said, uh, I love this quote on page 104, we don't have to set out to change the world. We set out to obey the Lord and even the simplest actions can leave glorious marks of obedience forever. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was great. Um, the simplest acts. And, and I think that's very encouraging for the moms who are listening. Yes, who are, for sure. Whether you're teaching a five-year-old how to do their ABCs or you're changing that diaper, do it to the glory of God. Praise God for those little little opportunities to serve and worship Him. Right. And I think that for a Christian, it should be really trusting God that every act of obedience is will be glorified. And so we only get to see some of them. You know, you only, you only periodically, and usually, as I think I use that example in the book, it's something that you never, ever would have thought at the time, this is momentous. You know, like you, you never thought, you know, what's going to leave a memory forever in this child. Like they're, they're going to always remember this moment when they realized, (laughs) and you're like, it's never that moment. It's something that you do offhanded. And then later you hear back from someone you're like, what? When did that happen? I don't remember that at all. And, and I, I just love that because I do believe all of our obedience when we're glorifying God, all of it will be glorified in him. All of it is for a purpose. Um, and there's no place that you can be glorifying God and being obedient and have it not matter because it's, it simply does matter that you do it. Right. Um, what happens when we try to keep the glory for ourselves? <laughs> nothing good. Nothing good comes of it. I, it's a, I think it's a Psalm. I want to say it's a Psalm 26. It's maybe I'm wrong. I might be misquoting this, but it is the, the passage. It says, thou will show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And this idea that we tend to have that glory is what we want and so we don't like the commands to give God the glory. <laughs> like, well, that seems selfish of God. Um, but glory is not for us. You know, it, it is actually something that makes us sick. It's like, is what is it that when horses get into, they can kill themselves oh, eating yeah. it? You know, it's one of those things. It's like, that's glory for us. That we were made to traffic in it. We're made to give it to God. Um, and that in that Psalm where it says in thy presence is fullness of joy. Well, if you're glorifying God, then it's a way of saying your whole life is being lived in the presence of God. You know, your whole, everything that you're offering to his glory is in his presence. And it doesn't say where you'll waste away because you have no glory for yourselves. It's pleasures forevermore. You know, like this is, and who among us would say like the path of life, um, you know, like clear purpose, like pleasure, would we say, I don't want that, or I don't, I, I don't like the idea of clear purpose and everlasting joy <laughs> and, and pleasure. I don't like that. I just want the glory. So I think that um, in that way, I think that I love the command to whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, because how many of us know how to drink gloriously? You know what I mean? Like when you think like, if you're eating do it to the glory of God. If you're drinking, do it to the glory of God. If you're clipping your toenails, do it to the glory of God. And you think, how is that glorious? You know, how is this a glorious activity? And yet we're called to do those things in the presence of God that we might know the path of life and have fullness of joy uh, and pleasure forevermore. You you use another great illustration. uh, I think moms can relate to this one as well. We are wasting our time looking around for support and encouragement when we have Christ. 
We want to drink hesitantly from a sippy cup of comfort. Let that sink in for a second. The sippy cup of comfort. (laughs) While God offers us the opportunity to stand under a Niagara Falls of glory. That is truly abundant life. I mean, if we get, like you said, to traffic in glory, and that leads to a life of joy. Um, Yeah. But um, sometimes we look for those answers other places. You know, we we, we get sidetracked. And and then you you went ahead and and talked a little bit in in the next chapter about um, this idea of personality types. And and I wanted to talk about that for a second. You know, it seems like it kind of comes in waves as far as, you know, how we're going to identify itself. And I'm old enough to remember way, way back when there were just four. um, Right. With the phlegmatic, choleric. uh, Choleric, uh, melancholy. And sanguine. And And then they they had to get more complicated and assign animals. So now you're either a beaver, an otter, a golden retriever, or a lion, I think. And uh, I I have never heard that one. But then they had to do the INTJES, whatever. Yeah. There's like a gazillion. Myers Briggs. Yeah, then that was a big one. And then now it's the Enneagram is the thing that everyone's all. Right. That's, so yeah. is there ever a place, do you think, for, for personality types? Can they be helpful or, or is it something you. No, I don't think, I don't think that personality typing or talking about differences in human characteristics is a sin like where I would say Christians may not have a discussion about different personality types. Sometimes it is just genuinely helpful to say, do you know what? This is a way that I am just, this is a way that I'm wired. This is what I do in this circumstance. Like one thing I would say is that like my husband and I are different in that when I am discouraged about what's happening right now, like if I'm thinking, Oh my word, I'm so far behind on the house and I need to do whatever. And I have all this stuff coming. What encourages me and gets me like, okay, we can do this is some big picture, huge, like, you know what we should do? We should, you know, and to me, that is the thing that helps me. Like, that's how I naturally cope with something like that. It is not how he will naturally cope with it. He would be like, let's not talk about that. We have stuff to do right now. And so what all I'm saying is it's a helpful thing to understand mm-hmm. that we operate differently. And he, and he gives to me in that way, knowing that I need a big picture thing to get through whatever's happening. And I have to understand that that doesn't encourage him the same way it does me. So it's not, it's just like, we don't need to do that right now. Um, so what I'm trying to say is I have no problem with Christians identifying things and being like, um, but I do see a lot of dangerous behavior around personality typing. Uh, and a big one is like, I think they all have different kinds of pitfalls. Mm -hmm. One of them is thinking that this is some kind of objective reality, you know, like that you are this type and you can't change when that does not actually harmonize with, with our faith, you know? So you say God is commands us to be certain ways that it is that we need to trust him and follow him and obey. And that those things are transformative. Like I've often said, people will say things like, Oh, I'm quick tempered. It's like, well, but if you're obedient and you're quick tempered, what are you? you're long suffering, right? You know, if you're being obedient, you're actually not at all quick tempered. 
you're actually someone who is, it's, it manifests completely differently. Um, and so I feel like the hazards I see are abundant with people wanting to over-identify like, almost like they're, I don't know, you know, when you're talking to a little kid and you tell them something about themselves, how much they like glue on to whatever you're telling them. Like you're really good at this particular thing. They're just like grabbing like, and then you might hear it a long time later. Like, well, I'm the one who pedals really well on my bike or something. You're like, (laughs) how did that become so important to you? Um, And I guess I think Christians tend to do that kind of thing. And the real concern for me, it's not the information that a personality test might give you, um, but what is it displacing in your life? Um, and the Enneagram is an example of this. I, I'm not on board with the Enneagram for a lot of reasons. I think it's pretty new age. I think it's unhealthy. It's not good. But the, what I see more than that as the concern is Christians acting like the word of God can't reveal myself to me or change me and, and, and it's not that they say that out loud. It's that they're not focusing on reading the word and they have huge stacks of Enneagram books to try to study their weaknesses and how they can, um, you know, they're like working through this all the time. Mm-hmm. And when we know that the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing to joint and marrow, soul and, you know, it's like, we don't need this kind of help when we have the living word of God. And I think that for many Christians, they just assume that they do need that help and that that's what it's like a displacing of authority in your life that should not be happening. That's a good comment. That's a good warning. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's very true. Plus there are so many good books out there to read. (laughs) There's just not time enough for, I have not, I've read one book about the Enneagram because I'm trying to, well, no, I'm still in it reading it because I don't want to engage thoughtlessly with it with like, it's a big, thing that's happening right now. Um, but in the course of the book, the thing that keeps coming up to me is it's like this idea that our, it's not, it's proposing a Christless sanctification saying you're this number and you need to do this to, to compensate, like to overcome your own failings, but there's no Christ in this. It's your own power to do it. And the problem to me is many Christians are like, but I know that this is a sin and I want to improve here. And so this is really helpful to me. And that's what I mean is I don't doubt that God can use all kinds of things in your life to help you in some way or another. Um, but I think that the danger is in this idea that we're somehow the Lord over our own sanctification. Like we're going to see how this is happening instead of responsive obedience to God's word. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, thinking about the idea of, of mentors, and I love the definition that it's just a kind of guiding relationship with the goal of helping you flourish. Who are some of your mentors, Rachel? Man, I don't use the term normally, so I would never say these are my mentors, but my mom definitely uh, would be one. And I would say I have, I, I would say more than mentors, I have uh, co-laborers. You know, like there are more, there are lots and lots of women that I am working alongside of, which is a very encouraging relationship. You learn from all of them in different ways and you learn and encourage each other. Um, But I don't have like one-on-one sorts of, you know, this is my mentor for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unless you're talking in smaller, unless you're like, who's your baking mentor? (laughs) 
Sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I don't know if you mean, do you have one kind of all of life mentor or are we talking like? Oh, I think it, it depends on seasons. Um, it can be someone yeah. you just like to go to for advice for one particular area. It can be someone who yeah. wants to be accountable and encourages you, that older woman, you know, type right. two relationship even. Who is your baking mentor, by the way? My baking mentor is probably King Arthur Flower right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Stella Parks fan. I love Green Parks. Oh, Stella Parks. Yeah, yeah, I have her dessert book. But I do love, like, um, I guess I would say you find encouragement in in Christian community. I have found, um, I have really heavily involved in the Bible reading challenge. And right. there are tons of women in our community that are working together shoulder to shoulder in that, but with very different gifts acting like, you know, and we all are learning from each other and being encouraged by each other. Uh, but it's not a formal relationship, but I would say as a group, it's mentoring a lot of women, you know what I mean? Like it's, 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 so it's more like a huge mosh pit of mentorship. (laughs) Okay. That's what I would put it. It doesn't go wrong when it is focused on driving each other to the word. Like if it was a huge mosh pit of you have to do my chore chart method or you need to do this, it would be a train wreck. But luckily it is it is very simple. It's like one mission is to get women in the word. Okay, so that's a good transition. Let's talk about you've got you know, your book, Yoohoo, about who not to listen to, how not to think we are in charge of our own life and crafting our own story. Um, and you've been very vocal on social media, um, calling out the the purveyors of lies, basically. That was an unexpected twist. I think that was not, nobody planned that. It just happened. <laughs> um, well, if y'all want to follow Rachel on Instagram and Facebook, look for the little uh, emoji with the liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> It's just the emoji pants with flames, which makes me laugh. And it's the de- the hashtag is Department of Helmo, which I don't use that. I just need to say this: I don't use that flippantly. I don't. I'm not cursing. I don't use that language about other things. I'm literally trying to talk about this is the theology of hell, and and that's why we're saying Department of Hell No, not because I generally like to shock with my language. That's just, <laughs> you have to get that out there. Sure. I'm glad we cleared that up. And you know, you are obviously a very joyful person. So I'm, yeah, I'm not I've, I've about gotten it. a lot of questions about it. It had not occurred to me that it would bother some people, but it does bother some people. So well, that's okay. why I like to get that out there. Sure. <laughs> um, and, and before we get to the Bible reading challenge, I have one more question for you to, to kind of get yeah. us into that. Um, because one thing you did mention in the, in a sense, there are mentors in the pages of books. Um, yes. And they can be people that inspire and encourage us. And you mentioned that you come from a family and your grandfather loves right. missionary biographies. And uh, uh-huh. do you have any favorite missionary biographies that you read? Yeah, I need to read some more because now that I've, uh, I need to freshen up. I've read a lot of them when I was a kid. The ones that I've read recently that I really love, uh, God Smuggler, I reread that as an adult. I don't remember having been so teary when I read it as a child, <laughs> as an adult. It does it for me. Uh, but a really glorious one is Evidence Not Seen. It's the story of Darlene Debla Rose. That's a wonderful one. Uh, the Hiding Place is something that every Christian should read that. And uh, one that I read maybe a couple of years ago called uh, Warriors of Ethiopia is a really, that one is heavy. It's sort of like a Schindler's List mm-hmm book, but it is really a beautiful book about, it's sort of an effort to 
to document the lives of all the Ethiopian missionaries to Ethiopia, the the Christian Ethiopian men that went to take the gospel to tribes that had never heard it. And, and so many of them, it is like a one, a page and a half, you know, of like how they set out and how they were murdered immediately. And like, they're just martyred for the faith all over Ethiopia. But Ethiopia now has churches all over the place where those men all died. And it's a beautiful book, but that one's heavy. Evidence not seen. Well, that's heavy too. They're all a little heavy, but they're wonderful. They're and, good. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. So yeah. let's, let's transition. So you've got this, these books that you've written, but then you've also um, taken on a project to get women to read yes. their Bibles, the Bible Reading Challenge. So how did yes. that start? And, and tell us how we can get involved with that. How it started, I, I, it's kind of funny because it's almost not an idea. You know, you're like, how, how did you think to have Christians read the Bible? <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess I would say, I just think the Lord really gave us that idea. It was the, our churches, I'm on the Ladies Fellowship Committee, and we were just having our meeting. There were a lot of factors that had played into this, but the big thing for me was that uh, when we were talking about it, we did not want to be giving women in our own community the idea that we thought for them to be spiritually fed, someone needs to be taking care of your children and making coffee and doing centerpieces and bringing the muffins, you know, like making an event so that you can be spiritually fed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we thought, well, why don't we just do a Bible reading thing. Like instead of doing book studies and Bible studies and childcare and topical things and all of this, why don't we just go to the source and be like, let's help everyone read the word. And I think it's really common uh, across America for sure, probably in other places uh, that women's ministries in order to be successful, successful women's ministries, they want the women to continue to be needy for them. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and if women are really equipped and spiritually strong and faithful, do they all, are they all desperate to gather all the time to have someone feed them? It's like, no, they're, they're worshiping on Sunday. They're, they're reading the word. Uh, and we, in, in our town is unique. We have, we see each other a lot because there's a lot of believers and it's a small town. So mm-hmm. it's not the kind of situation where we're actually desperate for opportunities to see people because you see them at the grocery store, you see them everywhere, you know? Um, and so I know that's unique, but we just decided to do this. But then we thought, well, if we're going to do it, if we're going to do like a, at the first year, we did a virtual once a week, like a, something you people could tune in and watch a webinar. Um, but we're like, well, if we're going to do this, we can open it up to the world because there's no reason to not try to get everybody else to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lord just really abundantly and above any idea we could have had of how it would work, bless that. And it is amazingly inspirational. I mean, we joke. It's almost as if God wanted women to be reading his word. <laughs> what a great <laughs> idea. You almost, you almost get the sense that God likes this idea. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous that it comes off as such a shock that it's like, let's do this. And I think God just steered us in a great direction early on with that, that we're not trying to teach the word. We're trying to teach a love of the word. We're, and so when you mentioned the older women teaching the younger women, um, that passage does not say 
the older women teach the younger women how to interpret Deuteronomy or the older, older women teach the younger women. And, you know, we're not supposed to be preaching the word. We're teaching them to love the word and love their husbands and their children and their homes. Um, And it's been amazing how just focusing on scripture has made those things happen naturally instead of us trying to come up with a way to teach women to love their homes. It's, it's like them being in the word just naturally overflows into that. And it's been a really wonderful thing. So as far as how to get involved, the plan itself is more ambitious. It is called a challenge because it is not, it's not super slow, but that part of the idea is we wanted to shake off some of the mentality that everybody has of like, you read one chapter, that's it. Well, then you're probably missing days. So like, how long will it take you to read the whole Bible? A very long time. If you're going to read, you know, a chapter a week, it's going to be a really long time before you read the whole Bible. So uh, during the academic year, so like September to May, we read the whole Bible. So that amounts to about six chapters a day. But we have catch-up days um, with the assumption that you're going to get behind at some point. And we also have really encourage everyone to treat it like it's a meal. You just jump in on the day's reading. Mm-hmm. So if you get behind, you jump, you just come join us at the table today at what we're reading today. And everyone says, what if I miss something? It's like, yes, but at this rate, you'll be back very soon. Like it'll be very soon that you'll be back and you'll get that. So don't, don't waste time, you know, trying to catch up, just keep coming to the table. And so the whole Bible in the academic year and then the summer challenge, which I don't know when this episode's going to air, but the summer challenge starts June 3rd. So, um, and it's just the New Testament and it's really geared towards people who, well, it's not geared, it's geared towards all of us. It's four chapters a day, roughly. Um, but the goal is to be a great starting place for people who do not currently have a good Bible reading habit or are trying to develop one. Um, so that's what we're doing. There's Facebook groups and it's on apps that people might use. And when I say Facebook groups, we have one women's group that's about, I think really either might be past 10,000 members now or really close to 10,000. Um, but then there's a bunch of offshoot local groups and people. So there's a lot of uh, kind of, you know, whoever happens to be in Minneapolis, we're doing this here. And, um, been great. It's been a really wonderful thing. So the website is christkirk.com slash Bible challenge is where you can find links to everything and the paper plan to print out, etc. Wonderful. Thank you. That's exciting. Yes. That's exciting. I can't think of a better voice to listen to. <laughs> than, um, yeah, right? <laughs> than, than scripture. Exactly. You're right. Why, why should we be surprised at that? Well, when we think of mentors, you know, those guides that help us flourish, it can be easy to think that it's up to us to create our own path and even to create our own selves. And it's easy to be steered in the wrong direction. Um, Thankfully, God's word is the one true and reliable source to guide us. So Rachel, thank you for being the missionary and the cheerleader that we need. And I pray the Lord blesses you as you encourage women to read their Bibles. Thank you. Thank you you so much. Yeah, my pleasure.